This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr., writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. Thanks for joining us again today. Today we're talking to Trent Snyder from Bridge Up Brewing Company, a conversation I've been looking to have for quite a while, haven't found the the right time or the right way to match schedules. And finally, we got him in here at about 8.30 a.m. on a Wednesday morning in March. And uh, we've already cracked our beer, so this this could go in a lot of different ways, and the rest of my day might not go well while I'm editing. So if there's errors in the paper this week, blame Trent. But Trent, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you. Really happy to finally have you here. What was uh, your morning? Dropping off the kids and then sprinting up here? Yeah, yeah I was sprinting up here, but then uh, the three cups of coffee I had at home uh, hit me in the wrong kind of way, and I had to <laughs> stop. Glad I was early because I had to stop at the gas station and enjoyed a very nice 10 to 15 minutes in a very cozy, small nook of a bathroom here, in, here in Bailey's Harbor. Yeah. Little gas station poop. It's great. Yeah. Found it very enjoyable. <laughs> so I'm, I'm primed and ready to roll today. I'm going to prep everybody for our next podcast, which is top 10 public restrooms in Door County. <laughs> I put it in the top five for sure. <laughs> I, uh, my brother-in-law in Chicago, you said, do these ratings where we would talk about like, you know, when you everyone's working from home or working remotely, be like, well, just go to this random place to uh, work for a few hours today. And it's like, Sometimes you might pick them by the quality of that public restroom. So I'm sure my brother-in-law loves me sharing that. That's important. It is. It is. So you live in Sturgeon Bay? I do, yeah. Yeah. So drop them off at, how old are your kids? So I've got a freshman and a seventh grader, and they go to Sevastopol. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was, when we're trying to schedule this, we're both, this is what happens when you get into your mid-40s and you got a couple kids. You're like, all right, we schedule around when we got to drop the kids off somewhere. So. I hit daycare, you hit Sevastopol, which, by the way, I was in Sevastopol like last week for a little presentation. First time I've been in that new school. It's awesome. Oh, my gosh. Beautiful. They did a like, nice job. <laughs> having been there for like high school football practice and stuff when mm-hmm. I was, when we had the combined program and then seeing it now, it's just night and day difference. Yep. It's got to be eye-opening for like the staff and kids there. For sure. My kids are very lucky. They yeah. love it. They love it. It's cool. Anyway, we got you on here to talk about beer and, and your background. Obviously, you're the uh, founder, brewer, everything behind Bridge Up Brewing Company, and also the Cherry Hot in Judville. Yeah. What do you call it? Judville Fish Creek? It's, it's, I think it's town of Gibraltar, so I call it Fish Creek. I say okay. it in Fish Creek. A <laughs> little bit of the purgatory between Judville and Fish Creek. Yeah. But I wanted to talk, first of all, what's your path to owning a brewery? And it's been about five years now for Bridge Up? Yep, going on year five. Uh, Strange path. I was living in the Twin Cities. I was a teacher for 13 years. And being a teacher afforded me my summers off. And like a lot of brewers, I think they have a similar story, got a Mr. Beer kit from my grandma for Christmas one year, and it sat in the closet, and it moved with me from apartment to apartment. When I met my wife, she's like, "What, what is this? And why are we still holding on to this? Yeah. Let's, let's either throw it away, give it away, or, or do it. I have one of those. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, well, if you want to do it with me, let's do it. So we brewed a beer in the Mr. Beer kit with the plastic, you know, keg-looking thing. And it was fun doing it with her, you know, actually making the beer. And then it turned out sort of like beer. So I was like, well, this is this is cool. You know, I could get into this. So I think my birthday was coming up, so my wife for my birthday got me uh 
kind of a starter homebrew kit with the glass carboys and all that stuff. So, you know, I got to be pretty good at homebrewing. So I was, you know, I was the neighborhood guy, so I never had to bring food or soup or chili to anything in the neighborhood. I was just required to bring the beer. So sure. got a lot of good feedback and I felt like I had some pretty good recipes. So I was really just loving being a, a good home brewer. I had evolved into kind of all grain brewing and, you know, converted coolers into mash tons and all that stuff. Kind of geeked out on it. Uh, fast forward 17 years later, we ended up moving back to Door County. I had been working for an IT consulting firm as a sales manager and had to leave that job. So I showed up to Door County without a job. So what's this timeline here? So you're teaching in Minneapolis area for 13. What are you teaching? I was a middle school literacy specialist. No kidding. Yeah. So then you get into IT at some point and leave teaching? Yeah. So I left teaching and took a job with an IT consulting firm. I know nothing about IT. So I was just a sales manager. So I was really okay. teaching. It fit my skill set that I had spent time and money acquiring. So I was basically teaching adult men and women to do their job better okay. at sales. That's okay. essentially what I was doing, making a lot more money, traveling a lot, had, yeah. a, had an expense account, had a great, it was great. <laughs> so left that to move back to Door County for just a slower pace of life with my wife. She has a great job with Target, so she's able to take her job with her. And so okay. she works out of our home. And I wanted to find a job that kind of got me back into the community. I mean, I grew up here. My family owned a business here in Fish Creek for 28 years. And what was their business? It was uh, a gift shop called Yours and Mine Gifts. Okay. It was right across from where Nan and Jerry's bait and sure. tackle shop yeah. is. The building is no longer there, but um, so they were there for 28 years. Very familiar with Door County. We own a, a cottage here as well. So my family was very familiar with, with Door County, having been here, you know, over long weekends and holidays and things like that. So easy transition for my family, but I just kind of lost touch with who was who and what was going on around here. I felt kind of like a stranger in my own hometown sort of thing. Yeah. So it was really important for me to find a job that kind of got me back out there and, and meeting people and, and, you know, being around the community. So, you know, I took a job after a couple months of not finding anything that really suited me. I took a job just because I felt like I needed a job kind of in the, over in the industrial park in Sturgeon Bay, working for a company there and knew it wasn't a long-term sure. thing, but I was coming home from Costco one day in Green Bay and got a phone call from Jason Estes, who owns Sonny's Pizzeria. Never met the guy before, had been to Sonny's a couple of times with my family, but he's like, hey, I heard you know how to brew beer. And I'm like, I do. And he's like, I've always wanted to do something with this lower level of my building, and I've always wanted to kind of do something with brewing. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's, that's a good, good idea. It's kind of a hot topic these days you yeah. know, in Door County. Would, it, would, it would fit right in here. And he's like, okay, cool. And he's like, can we meet? And we met and we were just talking about, you know, he, he admittedly knows nothing about beer. He just knew that. Like the idea. Yeah. And there's some financial, you know, benefits to making his own beer because he was selling everybody else's beer. So he's thinking, well, I can make more money if I sell my own beer in my restaurant and this, that, and the other thing. And so I had the know-how and he had the, he had the need had you ever thought about doing this before? Absolutely. Like in a commercial Absolutely. way? Absolutely not. And during these conversations, I, I wasn't thinking about it either. I just thought he was like asking me questions because I knew about it, you know. Yeah. And after a couple of meetings, he's like, you know, I think you're the guy for the job. And I'm like, what what job is that? <laughs> you know, and he's like, no, you seem to know a lot about it. He's like, let's let's go in on this together. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't I don't know, man. And he's like, well, you seem hesitant. I'm like, I'm very hesitant. I said, I've never brewed anything more than five <laughs> gallons in my garage on a turkey fryer. I said, I don't know how to make beer that other people are going to come and pay for. Yeah. 
And he's like, well, what do I need to do to? to I'm the guy who people like it because it's free, and I brought it down to the neighborhood barbecue. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I think my beer is good, but I've never, like I said, I don't know how to brew in mass quantities. Yeah. You know, and uh, he's like, well, we'll figure it out. So, you know, he sent me, I I said, I follow some of these smaller breweries. We knew it was going to be a small brewery. Yeah. So I followed some of these smaller breweries on Instagram, and he's like, "Where, where are these places? I said, there's a lot of them in California, Southern California. He's like, all right. Flew me out there, and I set up meetings with these smaller breweries, and, you know, each one, and the people there were great about it. You know, they're like, dude, we started just like you. You know, it was a bunch of guys that home brewed together, and one of one of our buddies got rich somehow, or, you know, his grandpa died and left a lot of money, and he, he wanted to start a brewery. So he recruited all of us to go, you know, do this brewery with them. And we started the same way. We had no idea what we were doing. So they were very welcoming. And, you know, one guy talked to me about how to like scale recipes. You know, he's like, yeah, let's talk about your recipes. He's like, Oh, these are pretty solid recipes. He's like, so he kind of taught me how to go from a five gallon batch to a bigger batch. Yeah. Cause it's you not know. simple multiplication. It's not from a grain perspective. It kind of is, it's somewhat linear, but the hop thing was, is not the same. So it's like, if you're using, you know, let's say an ounce of hops, it's not like multiply it by five because you're making five times more beer or whatever. It's not like that. So there's some math involved, which was challenging for me because I'm not good at math, but he taught me everything I needed to know. And another brewery taught me about yeast propagation and saving yeast. He's like, all right, so this is going to be a business. So you're going to have to be worried about saving money and, you know, that sort of thing. He's like, yeast is expensive, but there's ways to, you know, collect it and clean it and reuse it. And it's actually good for beer. You know, yeast gets stronger and it does its job faster and all this stuff. And I had no idea. I was just ripping open little packs and throwing it in there and ditching it. I didn't even know you could save it. Uh, Get, getting your yeast the pig. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then, you know, like another brewery talked to me about kind of like social media and how to like promote your brand and, and stuff like that. So I came back from that week in, in California feeling much more confident. And then kind of, we just kind of took off. It's interesting just from a business perspective, I was just talking to Dave Elliott about this. Dave Elliott, our owner here, founder at The Pulse. You know, we both got into business really young and there, there's so many things you don't know. Like Dave started a newspaper because he was creative and liked to do this. And he always had an entrepreneurial thing to him. But, you know, you get in a newspaper because you want to tell stories or do cool artwork. You don't do it for all the business stuff, the logistics, the distribution aspect of it. Same thing when you start a, a restaurant. You usually do it because you, there's something you like to cook or you like to stand behind a bar. You don't do it because you want to learn QuickBooks, right? <laughs> right and yes. Or deal with suppliers and all those things that come with it. So it's interesting that even before you started, you were having those conversations, which is a good prep, like that conversation about yeast and saving it. Like if you just open a brewery and you haven't had some of those conversations, you haven't learned some of those things, you can spend a couple of years and probably tank your business by losing money in a certain aspect. Oh, totally. So that had to, that's really cool that you had that opportunity to go and talk to all these people and to kind of pick their brains and that they were open about it. Absolutely. When I was really young, I didn't think anybody would share any trade secrets. And later I, I learned like yeah, all the restaurants talk to each other. And it's like, <laughs> there's not like this wall, but you know, when you're getting into it at 21, you're like, I have to figure this out all for myself. Yep. And, and the banks aren't giving you business advice. They're just like, oh, we'll just take your money and you know, <laughs> good luck. Get, good luck to yeah. you. <laughs> here's, here's a small stipend and. Yeah, you, there's all these different things you learn in it, but I just I found that pretty interesting from a business perspective. So you come back from that trip, you're not intimidated, you're ready to go. Yep. Like what's the when is this by the way? Is this like 2015? 20, 2018, I think. Okay. 2018, 2019, kind of okay. maybe halfway between those two. Okay. Yeah, so it came back and then it was time to like, all right, we got to find some equipment. 
found out through getting some inspections done that where we were going to put the brewery only allowed us so much weight because there's a there's a basement underneath the floor. Mm. So they would have had to do some major renovations that would have cost major dollars. So yeah. we settled on a one barrel system because, you know, we were just thinking, well, we'll just, you know, serve it in the restaurant. You know, maybe we'll have a little tap room and that'll be fine. For the uninitiated, what does a one-barrel system mean? One-barrel system means the most I can make in any one batch is one barrel of beer. Okay. You know, what you typically see at a bar, those big metal kegs, that's like a, that's 15 gallons. That's a half barrel, really. Yeah. Okay. So I can make two 15... Two kegs of beer. Two kegs of beer at one time. So real, One good, one good party small, in the field. Real small. So I think they call a brewery our size a nano brewery. I don't know okay. if that's still a term or not, but at the time it was. Yeah. So I had to find a, a brewing system that was that small, which is was challenging because who's opening a brewery that's only brewing one barrel of beer at a time? But there's a company out of Milwaukee called Spike Brewing, and they were kind of a high-end homebrew equipment place. So like if you were okay. really into homebrewing, and I knew about them because I was really into homebrewing, and I've always I always dreamed about getting these really cool fermenters and brewing kettles that looked like the big guys but were just smaller. Okay. You know, but they were really expensive and I couldn't afford that. <laughs> so, so I reached out to Spike and said, hey, do you have anything that, that I could use? You know, do you have bring, and they're like, actually, we're just coming out with our very first nano system. And I'm like, cool. So I invested in their very first nano system, which in retrospect is a very scary move. The first time a company puts out anything, you know. Yeah. So I was really... It was a great partnership because I was really their R&D on this sure. system because I was running it through the ringer because we grew pretty quickly. So I was yeah. brewing, you know, sometimes two, three times a day on this system batches. So back to back batches. And I was blowing equipment. I was blowing electrical things and all this stuff, but they were super cool. Like I just pick up the phone, call them next day. The piece I needed was there. I could just keep on ripping. And if you were to look at their nano system now, it is Really cool. Not mm. that not that I gave them any insights, but I think they learned. Well, from, learned from they learned from what I was experiencing that we got to beef this stuff up if these mm-hmm. guys are gonna really gonna run this system. So, I'm still brewing on that today. The same exact system. Wow. From time to time, I still blow a piece of electrical equipment, but again, it's kind of like I got them on speed dial. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kewanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. How did it take off for you guys? And what was your original vision? Like, it sounds like Jason had this vision of just a small thing to, that you could sell a little bit and he could serve it in his restaurant. That, and like you said, the, the margins are just going to be better by selling your own beer, obviously. Yep. It helped. It's a great PR thing, great business move. But like, what was your thought as you got going? Like, what was your vision? What was your hope for the business? I really wanted to, I mean, as we got going and saw that, like, people are actually enjoying this beer, I kind of wanted to make it as big as we possibly could, yet maintaining a small footprint. You know, right. I, I kind of wanted, to, my focus was, I wanted to be Door County's brewing company. I didn't have the name Door County Brewing Company, obviously, <laughs> but I really wanted to be that hometown, I'm a hometown kid. I grew up here. Yeah. My family owned a business here. I own a couple properties here. So it's like, I want to brew beer for Door County. And that means... 
the people that come to visit in the summer for a week or two or whatever, but also the people who live and work here and make Door County go all year round. And that was really my vision. So I yeah. really wanted to, I, I had no desire to like have multiple breweries and, you know, go down to Madison and open up one or anything like that. And we still don't, you know, so it was just stay here, brew really good beer that people want to drink. Hmm. So Shipwreck opens in the early 90s. Then you don't have anything else in Door County until Door County Brewing Company opens in Bailey's Harbor in 2013, I believe. I want to. Th- I think that's right. Pretty close, yeah. Ballpark. But even then, people are like, okay, so we have our two breweries. Meanwhile, I'm like going to Michigan where, you know, a town like Judville would have five breweries <laughs> in it, you know. Right. And people are saying, well, I don't know if there's anything. Like, could you really have another one in Door County? And I'm going, I think you could have a lot more in Door County. Like, there's... Especially because Door County has like such, or for a long time had such long, slow winters that it was hard to say like, can you do two or three of the same thing within a 80 mile radius up here? Right. But I think that's changed dramatically in the last 10 to 15 years. But what was your thinking going into it? Were you worried at all about the market being saturated for beer? Or did you think, hey, Sturgeon Bay needs something too, or the county could handle more of these? Yeah, I think that was my, I think the Sturgeon Bay could handle one was my kind of thought. You know, at the time we weren't thinking about distribution or any, you know, anything like that. So it was like, there's a lot of people in Sturgeon Bay. And, you know, I, myself, I I love going to bars, but not all the time. So I I want, it was more about like, let's give people in Sturgeon Bay that don't always want to have to go to a bar to hang out and play cribbage and, you know, see people, a a different alternative where they could still get a beer, you know, and still watch a game on TV, but just have a different, different vibe, different vibe, different environment to do it. in. so that was really my focus when we started is just creating a cool spot for people to come hang out. And then shortly thereafter, you end up doing Cherry Hut in Fish Creek. How's that all come together? Yeah. So in between all this COVID happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so and, minor little business right, interruption. You know, yeah. So, and I think that's really where we, we felt like this is actually going to work because we were able to sustain our business during a time where a lot of businesses were really struggling. And I think that was because the communities, Sturgeon Bay especially, but I think all of Door County really rallied around small businesses. Yeah. And people were, you know, may, they, they may have been ordering pizza from Sonny's and they'd throw a you know, six pack on there, you know. Mm-hmm. And I would think in some cases probably because they just felt like it would help the business out, not because sure. they necessarily wanted the six pack per se. So I, I was felt, doing that, yeah. I felt like a, a, a large level of support and it really helped get us through that time. Here's a stupid business idea that I actually would, I would buy. Like if somebody did like, I had to say this because it almost makes fun of people who really, not, not makes fun, but makes light of the COVID situation. But if you did like COVID Thursdays and it was like, hey, you can get a craft cocktail kit to go, you know, like, cause I, now as you talk about this, I'm like, oh yeah, we would pay for just cocktails because we like desperate to do anything or have any contact even at a, at, for a pickup window. Like yep. it was fun to like pick up the food from somebody and be like, Hey, how are you doing real quick? And then leave. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, you certainly had that. And like you said, the support for small businesses, the way people rallied was really cool to see. It was, and, it was incredible. And from a, the way people started to value these things that they maybe took for granted, like the people doing this in their own town that weren't part of the macro economy, suddenly like, oh, we need those people. And then even the fact that government, for the first time, put like free money out there for small businesses. You know, big corporations are always getting free money. Look at Fleet Farm. Right. <laughs> you know, look at look at all the things Surgeon Bay incentivizes to get corporations to come into their community and invest. Like nobody does that for small one-off businesses. Right. You know, like 
I've never covered a small restaurant that got with a, with an actual entrepreneurial local business that got a big giveaway from a city or town. Right. So that era of COVID with just the little grants that came out and stuff like 2,500 bucks, like literally you could never just get $2,500 of free money from the government. Like everyone else can, but the big guys can. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox there. Yeah. And it was cool to see. (laughs) And and I think the nice thing, I mean, there was a lot of bad about COVID, but there's a lot of good that came from that. And I think the support for local small business from like from the locals is still here. I don't think that's gone, at least from my perspective, I haven't gone away. So I think COVID helped people realize like, hey, maybe I didn't know about this place. Now now I do. And now I'm going to support it every day. And businesses had to find new ways to market themselves. They probably discovered a lot about like getting the word out and how to do it, but also changing their business model. I just talked to J.R. Schoenfeld from Chives a couple weeks ago on the podcast and about how it kind of forced him to do all this stuff with his food trucks in Bailey's Harbor and do this outdoor dining. And it's like, yeah, what do you know? We're in a beautiful place. People like to eat outside. No doubt about it. COVID's, you know, technically gone away. But the food trucks are still here. Yeah. You know, and that means he's getting people that are still supporting those those COVID and, related things that came out. And up. the beer gardens, like like yours in Judville. So totally. COVID happens. How does what does that spur for you guys? Yeah, well I think it was a it was a combination of the success of the brand during a tough time. We wanted to capitalize on that. And then having a business partner that is a kind of a go getter. He's not afraid to make investments in things that, for fear of failure. Yeah. And I think it was one of those things, well, coming out of COVID, people aren't necessarily, people are kind of timid, they're afraid, what's going to happen? Well, let's strike and do something big while other people aren't. Yeah. Which afforded us the opportunity to find the Cherry Hut. You know, it was a couple that were in that space that no longer needed or wanted to be there. We jumped on it. Well, you know, so the story goes, I wanted a Northern door tap room. I knew that, you know, Sturgeon Bay is still considered flyover country. You know, people don't even, you know, they'll, they'll be like, how far do we, till we get to door County? It's like, well, yeah. you're here in door County, but, and you've lived here long enough to know yeah. that that's still a thing. And I just knew I was missing out on people, you know? So I said, you know, keep your eyes open for spaces up North, you know, and hard to find definitely. But, yeah. um, he calls me one day and he's like, what do you, what do you think about the cherry hut? And I'm like, like Ray's Cherry Hut? I'm like, is it even called that anymore? Yeah. He's like, no. He's like, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm like, yeah. He's like, what do you think about it? I'm like, I don't think anything about it. It's, <laughs> what, what do you mean? He, he's like, well, for the for the tap room. I'm like, well, that's a lot of space. And it's kind of a weird space for a tap room. Isn't it like a ranch style, like roadside yeah. market? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I don't know, man. He's like, oh, I thought you'd be more excited. I'm like, I don't think it's the right spot. He's like, I'm like, you didn't like buy it did you he's like well I put an offer in I'm like oh man <laughs> okay so he's like let's take a ride up and look at it so we went up there and I'm like once I got there I hadn't been there in a long time I used to go there as a kid yeah. you know because when I was young that was kind of really the only gig in town it was that and capsules kind of I think yeah. for a long time you know and lot box was a lot Lump, smaller yeah you know and it just that's where we went and picked apples and as a business my dad would always stop and get apples or cherries from there and put it on the counter at the gift shop and People be like, oh, this is a delicious Macintosh. Where'd you get that? And you'd be like, oh, Ray's Chariot. So it was a way to, you know, yeah. kind of spread business around. And so I got there and I'm like, you know, this could work. Because they had this like metal pole barn building off the back of the building, which was yeah. where they used to process the fruit and stuff back in the day when it was a working orchard market. And I think the, 
you know, the people who had owned it use it were using it for storage and stuff like that, you know. And I said, I, this could work as like a tap room space, you yeah. know. I said, I don't know what we're going to do with the with the market thing. I have no idea. And he's like, well, you'll figure it out. And I said, dude, that's what you said <laughs> with Bridge Up when we first started. He's like, and look what you did. And I'm like, okay. So anyway, ended up buying the cherry hut. I had to figure out how to be a kitchen guy because there's a kitchen there. And I had to figure out how to be a market guy. And then there's a wine, there was a wine room thing there. And so it was like, I think we, he bought it in March and we were going to open in, you know, May. Yeah. You know, of that year. So it was very fast, you know, trying to figure out, let's get stuff on the shelves. Let's figure out what we're going to do for food. Let's figure out, you know, we got to build a bar. We got to get a tap system. But the nice thing about it is it came with like one and a half acres of property. Mm-hmm. And like you said, with like beer gardens and stuff, people, people's perceptions of what they enjoy doing changed during COVID, you know, being forced to be outside and do outside things. Yep. So we put in a, you know, 150 person patio with five fire pits and uh, it's all hardscaped. And then it's got beautiful landscaping and, you know, TVs and stuff like that. And I think that's really what brought people there. Yeah. Because they wanted to be outside. Who doesn't want to be outside in the summer in Door County? Right. So the, the beer part, the bridge up part is very transactional. We got an indoor bar. We open these huge garage doors, indoor bar, people get a beer and they go back out and sit at the patio, sit at the fire pits. But then we got the market where you can get jams, jellies, pies, pickles, all that stuff. We got 30 private label wines that we, that we offer. We got four draft ciders and then we're doing craft hot dogs, street tacos, rib tips and nachos out of our kitchen. So it's deli style, kind of like the old, like the Norswich thing in yeah. Fish Creek there, fill out a little form. Four minutes later, you got your food, you're out on the patio enjoying it. Yeah, and it's great food. And it's like that, you know, it's going to be interesting, you know, four or five years from now as some of like everything takes shape there with like the landscaping and things. But it's a great way on a sunny day to sit out there and, and have fun. And you guys do a lot of live music. I know you've had uh, Frank Maloney and his crew down there a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm Pat, blank. Pat McCurdy, Pat McCurdy, Pat McCurdy yes. loves playing there, which yeah. is kind of old school Door County. And and you're kind of in this, this somewhat historical piece of property there too, in that that's where Robert Doc Wall, who's this kind of... The king of fermentation or whatever yeah. that he's called or something like that. He he was this uh, guy that I had never heard of him before until the guy who owns the property behind you, Bob Armbruster, called me one day and he's like, hey, man, I got this weird story I think you should look into on my property. And I thought that was like, all right, Nick, everyone wants me to write about their property. It's like a real <laughs> estate thing. He wants to get some publicity to sell this thing. And then sure enough, like this guy, Robert Wall, you look him up and sh- you look at stuff in turn of the century in the Chicago Tribune and stuff. And he's the kind of guy who shows up on the front page when they're talking about beer <laughs> and was one of the foremost authorities on brewing in the entire world for the better part of the first 30 years of the, the 20th century. And when prohibition happened, when they came out of prohibition and when beer became legal again, he's the first guy quoted in the Tribune. When you look back at their archives of like, they brought this guy out to judge the new beer. You know, it's pretty, pretty wild. There's also a lot of other stories there that I could go on and on about, but he owned the farm behind you. And then during prohibition came up and lived there with a mistress apparently, and then uh, would continue brewing beer far away from the feds and right. keep working. Cause he was a scientist and he just, he, he just loved working the science of it. To right. try and make the perfect beer and purify perfect water for the perfect beer kind of thing. Right. So kind of a cool connection there that you guys it's stumbled into. It was into. very, I don't know if serendipitous is the right word, but I'll use it anyways. It was very serendipitous to end up having that property and then learning that piece yeah. of information 
which is right literally steps behind us. Yeah. Which is cool. I actually just got contacted from some descendants of his a couple months ago who were doing some family history and trying to get more stories about him because they're like, this is this guy is kind of big deal, but also kind of wild. Like there's an article about him attempting to kill his wife by poisoning a rose with like some sort of scent that she would inhale and then that would kill her. So this was in the papers back oh. in like the, in the like 1909 Chicago Tribune stuff, like kind of just weird stuff. There was a weird yeah. uh, arson thing on the property too. So hmm. a lot of strange things going on with that guy. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure they were like, was he a good guy? Was he a bad guy? We yeah. don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, I've digressed enough there, but how's that been going? We're going into, this will be our third season this summer. Last season went way better than our first season. Yeah. Because we had no idea. What, I had no idea what I was doing that first season. Everything just happened so fast. How was that trying to keep the Sturgeon Bay thing like steady while you're trying to launch this thing from scratch? I have been blessed with an awesome staff. And so I had people in place down there that I felt I could leave them to their own accord down there and run that business and I didn't have to worry about, you know, the business side of it, the customer service, the, you know, that sort of thing. It was rough because I had to, you know, I was there early in the morning brewing beer, you know, 5 a.m. So I could be done by 11. So I could get up there to the cherry hut to be there to do that sort of thing. So yeah. it was it was tough, no doubt. But I like I said, I have some sta- really great staff that helped me yeah. be able to do all that stuff. So I've got a guy who did some of the brewing for me, you know, took care of the dirty work, cleaning the kegs, doing all the cleaning, you know. So like if I brewed, I brewed and I was out. And he was left there to clean all the crap out of the yeah. mash ton and all that stuff. <laughs> but like I said, my staff really stepped up and allowed me to do this thing at the Cherry Hut. So so how do you split your time now? I mean, not not literally right now because Cherry yeah. Hut's not open, but like in summertime. I would say I'm at the Cherry Hut 80% of my time still. Yeah. I just feel strongly that uh, you got to captain the ship yeah. until, you know, you always have to captain the ship. But I, I don't think it's at a place yet where I can not be there as often sure as much as i'd like to be we're still getting our feet under us we're still trying to figure out what we're doing and what we're what we want to be and quite frankly people like to see the owner you know the owner but i've got a great general manager up there now so i don't have to be there every day like i was the first couple years you know i totally trust her it's great my family loves that i love that so i get out of there you know a couple times a week yeah you mentioned like people want to see the owner and craft brewing 10 12 years ago that was one of the big things is like, I'm going to go there and I'm actually, I talked to the guy who makes the beer. He's behind the bar. Like that was, you know, after, I don't know, hundred years straight of everyone buying from a few macro breweries, like the, the idea of talking to somebody about like, how did you make this beer was a big deal. That's maybe changing a little bit just because there's so many more craft beers, but like 10 years ago, that was a big deal for everybody in the Chicago area and things like that. For sure. Um, and obviously up here. So, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the industry in general mm-hmm. as well, not just a bridge up and how the approach has changed and what, you know, we, we talked really briefly at the, the beer festival last year when, when you were up here for that shameless plug that returns in June this year, <laughs> Father's Day weekend. Can't wait. Um, can't wait. But, you know, I think a lot of these craft breweries, the original ones, probably that wave of the nineties through like 2005, six a lot of small guys starting. We'll see if this takes off. And then some of them almost got lucky to get big because they, they probably weren't thinking of it on that macro level. It was just, hey, we want to brew beer. And, oh, what do we know? People really like this. Like, we're just growing and growing. And then you had the venture capitalist kind of approach to breweries where you had, oh, hey, there's a, there's space here. This is going to grow. Let's invest. Let's let's buy a brewery. Let's put invest a lot, bunch of money to build this and sell it to a bigger brewery kind of thing that, that came around. 
And then that time people were like, we're going to build this brand, do distribution, send it all over the place, and we're going to get huge and we're going to make a ton of money doing it. That's changed a lot. The distribution model is not as easy to get into once there's hundreds of craft breweries. Totally. It's a very, it, the market's saturated. I mean, you go to any, go to any grocery store or liquor store and you, you just look at the beer cooler. I mean, there's hundreds of different beers in there yeah. and they've all got crazy labels and they're all, you know, it's like, it's, it's overwhelming yeah. and, and it's hard to break in. It's hard to get shelf space, especially as a smaller brewery like we are. And quite frankly, there's not a, I don't think there's a lot of dollars in it anymore, you know, in the distribution side of it, for sure. And I look at it as marketing, really. It's a way for people to see our beer, whether it's in a cooler at the gas station that they're getting gas and they're throwing some six packs in their cooler. Maybe we'll be lucky and they'll grab one of ours or at a restaurant when they're going for fish fry on Friday night or, you know, Saturday dinner or Sunday dinner and we're on draft somewhere and they have it. They're like, Ooh, this is really good. And they, you know, Google it and they're like, Oh, there's a tap room. 20 minutes from here or whatever, or there's two tap rooms, you know, that's where you make your money's in the tap room, obviously. Yeah. So, so the idea is to like pique their interest mm-hmm. and get them to come back and, and spend it where your profit margin is higher. Sure. And where you can sell them food or more beer to go or Absolutely. sweatshirts. And right. And I think part of a brewery is, is the space that they're coming to. Yeah. So that's part of the brand too. They actually get to see your brand, you know, by stepping into your tap room, the aesthetics, how you design it, you know, is it industrial or is it kind of, you know, are the walls filled with crap, kind of like ours are. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, after you pay for the cans, the labels, the cardboard boxes that the six packs go in, the pallet that the cases go on, the plastic wrap, and then the logistics of getting it from point A to point B. The shipping. Yeah. yeah. There's just, you're nickel and dime to death. And so much of that is throwaway, you know, the can goes in the, gar- you know, the recycling yeah. bin, the label goes with it, the pallet, God, you know, maybe somebody picks it up and makes a, maybe makes a bookshelf out of it. Yeah. But, you know, so it's really the dollars come when they get the product somewhere else, enjoy it, and then research you and come to you. And then you build that loyalty by having them have a great experience in the tap room. Yeah. So when you're talking about that distribution thing, to really make that make money, your, your margins are so small, like a pallet of beer. What actually comes back to the brewery? I've never really dug into those dollars, but what I hope comes back to the brewery are the people who bought it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's, and that's where it's my job and the job of my staff is to create that great experience for them. And I tell my staff, remember, we're not in the beer business. We're in the business of creating memories Hmm. because we're in a great place. People are up here. They're on vacation for the most part, or people are living here. They want a place to go that, that is fun, you know, and where they can bring the kids and they can bring the dog and they can, you know, and a lot of times I, I, well, I hope they go home and they're like, man, that was really great beer. But I think what happens most of the time they go home and they go, remember that? tap room we went to, you know, whether it was at the Cherry Hutter in, in Sturgeon Bay. Remember that we sat there, we had a couple of beers, the kids were playing bags and the dog, you know, the dog was welcome. The, the gal brought out a, a bucket of water for the dog to drink, you know, and we had some good appetizers. And then remember that sunset we saw, you know, they didn't really talk much about the beer. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, about, it's about the experience they had and that the whole family could be there and enjoy themselves. So that's really what we're trying to do is create that really cool memory for people of, that, of Door County. I think you just touched on something that I talked about on a podcast recently was there's a certain crowd that thinks anything that says beer or brewery on it, it means drunk guys passed out on a sidewalk, you know, and that's been something that you, you talk about these memories. If I think of the cherry hut, I just very clearly think of playing bags with my dad and my nephew 
on a sunny day in the afternoon, like, and listening to music. And that, that is my impression of the cherry hut. That that's my first thought. That's, um, and that's perfect. Yeah. I think that's perfect. And that's the, the same thing for a lot of different places. You know, I live in sister Bay, my son, sometimes in the morning, he's two, almost three years old. He'll wake up and go, I want to go to peach barn. <laughs> Like, it's because it's a great family place. We sit outside. He gets to play with other kids in the sandbox, and mom and dad get to have a beer. Like, it's not a drunkard's paradise kind of vibe. Quite the opposite. And honestly, having owned a bar, it's a much more preferable lifestyle to sit there and and be done at 9 p.m. and close up shop than it is to close up shop at 2.30 in the morning. Absolutely. So that's interesting just from a business model, all those things. I remember when Stabur first opened in Sister Bay, not a brewery, but a beer garden kind of place. And my buddy, Mike Tremini was, was helping them open that and was like, I think we want to do like kids games outside and big checkers and, and beanbags. And I was like, man, that's a weird place to go and have a beer. You know, I didn't have kids yet. Didn't have family. This is seven, eight years ago. And it's one of the top places we go with our family. Yep. <laughs> and it's, it's just because the kids can run around and you, you realize, oh, that's what you get. Once you have a kid, you realize the value of just like 10 minutes of them being occupied and having fun, yep. it means a ton. For sure. And that's exactly, you know, when, when I was more so the cherry hut, when I was developing what that is turning into, it was all about thinking about my own experience with tap rooms. Like, why have I ever left a tap room that, where I was enjoying myself? Well, number one, it was because I got hungry and maybe they didn't have anything but like a cheese yeah. board or a pretzel or something. Or my kids weren't having fun. They're like, Dad, I want to go. You know, we played Uno 25 times already. We want to (laughs) go. That coupled with my brother's feedback, who he's a Chicago guy, three kids, all boys. They come to Door County like a lot of people come to Door County for like a week or two in the summer. And they typically come with two or three other couples with kids and dogs. And so they're a party of 12 with three dogs and... You know, they're not all beer drinkers. Maybe the, you know, maybe the gals are drinking wine or whatever, and the guys want to smoke cigars, you know. And he's yep. like, if you could create a place where where my group can come, you know, my family and the two or three other families we come with can go and everybody can have a good time, that would be ideal. Because he said, he's like, what we end up doing, you know, we don't like to have to have a reservation. There's no way we can have a reservation because we'll never make it with all those people yep. involved. He's and like, try and sit three families at one table right. and get them to stay there for two hours. For sure. Yeah. Brutal. He's like, it's, he's like, so what we end up doing is we end up going to Sister Bay. We get a couple pizzas and we go to the park. You know, we stop and pick up a couple beers at the gas, you know, six packs at the gas station, maybe a couple bottles of wine. And we sit at a park bench table. The kids can jack around in the water and yeah. the ladies can do what they want to do. And the guys can have a you know, cigar and everybody's happy because everybody who doesn't like pizza, you know, and that's, that's kind of what we end up doing. Either that or we just stay at the cottage and hang out on the beach all day. He's like, yeah. but there's no place we can really go with that many people and everybody could be satisfied. So with that in mind, that's what we tried to create at the Cherry Head as a place sure. where everybody could go, feel satisfied and create those memories yeah. and everybody can be involved. Well, it's very cool, I, and I hope it, it keeps growing. We talked about the saturation, like, is is that market saturated? And like you said, there's, there's still you and Starboard and Sturgeon Bay, mm-hmm. one barrel in Egg Harbor, Cherry Hut and Fish Creek. Peach Barn was the first one to do it in Sister Bay. Which I was surprised it took so long for somebody to do it in Sister Bay. No kidding. <laughs> and, of course, now we have Sway, the little one right up the street here that will get going this summer. So Happy about that. It's so cool now. Ten years ago, when I would go to other places and be like, wow, Door County really... There's so many things that at the time I felt Door County was behind on in terms of like breweries and like bike trails and all 
a lot of things I care about, and I sure. <laughs> would go, go on and on. But it's nice to see some of these things like really taking a foothold and, and being successful up here and totally. changing the dynamic, like you said. It makes families have a better experience when they come up here Absolutely. on a vacation. Yep. If you know there's some places like, hey, we can just go hang for five hours. We killed an afternoon or we killed an evening that way. What's next for you guys? I think just, you know, identifying what we're good at and doubling down on that and just trying to, to get better every season, you know, whether that's with new beers, you know, or with new aspects of our tap rooms or, you know, ways to create cool experiences. I think that's really anybody's next step, hopefully. For someone who's not familiar with your beer, is there a way you just like describe in a sentence or two? What is the beer you guys produce? Whether this is good or not, I call us, I, I describe us as a blue collar brewery. You know, we're not, we're not going out and trying to follow the trends per se. We're not going to, you're never going to find anything super duper crazy, you know, triple dry hop this IPA or, you know, 17 fruit sours or anything <laughs> like that. Because I said, we want to be Door County's brewing company, you know, and the people who live and work in Door County all year round, they're not necessarily into that, you know? So yeah. we, so we, we pride ourselves on having a, a variety of beers. You know, we have six flagship beers ranging from an IPA to a cream ale, you know, with a, with a red and a, you know, things sprinkled in there. So hopefully we, we have something that everybody can at least find something that they like and camp out on and have a couple. We try to keep our ABVs at a reasonable level, you know, between five and six so that you can have a couple, Yeah. you know, maybe you shouldn't still drive home, but you at least feel like <laughs> you can have a couple and still drive yeah. home. But yeah, we're, we're just, uh, you know, we just want to make good beer. At the what, end of the day. Do you have like a, what would you consider your, your flagstone beer? What's your most popular? I think right now is our stubborn sturgeon, which is a hazy yeah. IPA, which I don't think is any surprise to anybody who's a beer person. Yeah. You know, the IPAs have always dominated and especially the hazies, you know, the East Coasty type stuff. And I just saw Chris Drosner, the writer, I don't know if you're familiar with him, the Wisconsin beer baron guy. Oh, yeah. He had just tweeted out and he's like, this hazy IPA from the sturgeon Bay Brewery is it's really good. <laughs> really? Yeah, I just had a picture of the can, and I, I was like, yeah, shout out to Bridge Up. That's awesome. Oh, man, um, I didn't see that. I want to, if you yeah, forward I'll, I'll, me that. I'll, I'll send that to you. That's a win. But, uh, Trent, thanks for coming up early and making it work this morning and, and talking to us about beer. We'll have to do it again sometime because I love talking about this industry. It's pretty fascinating to me how it grows and, it, and what it can do for the communities up here. Absolutely. So, and we got some great people in that industry. No doubt about now. it. We're, I think I think there's a lot of great breweries run by great people up here, which yeah. I think is what makes it great. Yeah. And next time we'll do this again. We'll talk about your top 10 public restrooms. So. Uh, yeah, I've got a list in my car and a <laughs> post-it note. So. All right. Thanks again, Trent. You this got fun. It. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.